great to be back in Granbury. I've known your pastor for about 28 years uh, and really appreciate all that he and uh, Yvette have done. Uh, we, we moved to the Metroplex in 1991, just about the time that Alan and Yvette were coming here. Uh, and so it's been a joy to, to see and observe all that God is doing uh, through Generations Church. So, uh, yeah, I, I've actually spoken in multiple buildings here. Um, it's interesting. When I first met, first met Pastor Allen, uh, I asked him what he did, and he told me he was a CPA. And I thought, that's impressive. And he said, yes, I'm a car parking attendant. That was the job he had at the time. And I thought, I'm going to like this guy. That's a good sense of humor. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this. So uh, I, my wife is not with me uh, today. I just want, she would love to be here. She's actually in Little Rock, Arkansas at Children's Hospital with my daughter and our grandson who is going through some issues. If you are, think about it uh, or if you follow us somewhere on social media or anything, to be reminded. Uh, just I appreciate your prayers. Uh, identical twin boys, born premature. One of them quite healthy and doing well. The other one much smaller, struggling has some procedures ahead, and uh, that's where my wife is today. So I say all of that for two reasons. One, to let you know why she's not here, because she loves to come uh, to Granbury, and two, for you to maybe pray with us for our grandson, Jace, uh, to uh, have a quick healing. He's, he's about five months old now. He's only been home four weeks um, out of that five months, so he's been a lot of time. He's a scrapper. He's a fighter, and his name, Jace, means a healing so we're standing on that. We appreciate you standing on it with us. Now, you're looking at the screen here. and You can see Jesus and religion don't mix. And you're going to have one of two reactions to the statement. You're either going to go, yeah, or you're going to go, what? <laughs> Those are the two. You're either going to go, that's right, or you're going to go, what are you talking about? Well, whichever one it is, just kind of hold in reserve what your initial thoughts are about what I'm going to be talking about today. But I, I want to encourage you. There's a scripture verse there. If you've already turned to that, that's great. That's a good scripture. You should read it. But that's not the scripture that I need to go to today. So that's my mess up on the slide. So uh, what I want you to go to is 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8, okay? 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8. It's a fairly common scripture. Some of us have... Maybe be very familiar with it. But it sets the stage for what I want to talk about this morning. Beginning with verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, that's us, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. What is Peter talking about? What he is trying to help us understand is that Jesus came as God's elect, to be the foundation upon which we have relationship with God. But the religious leaders of his time did not see it that way. In fact, Jesus was offensive to them. 
They were offended. We're going to talk a little bit about it here uh, as we go through the message this morning because it's important that we recognize that sometimes religion, which can be simply defined as a system of beliefs that we live our lives by. Just a simple definition of what is religion. It's a system of beliefs that we use to guide the way we live. In that definition, basically everyone has an element of religion in them. Have you ever heard someone say the phrase, I'll tell you what, that guy, he waters his lawn religiously. Anybody heard a phrase like that? Boy, I'll tell you what, he, he cleans up his garage religiously. It, it's, we're referring to a systematic belief system that drives behavior, right? Religion. Now, those, how many of you were raised in church? Okay, how many of you weren't? Okay, two totally different experiences. If you were raised in church, you've become very familiar with what the routines are. If you were not raised in church, you're trying to figure out what everybody's doing. Uh, If you weren't raised in church and you came to an experience with the Lord, one of your first things you deal with is, why isn't everyone else in here as happy as I am? Come on, we can be honest, right? Like, Because you're fired up. This relationship with Jesus is awesome. You don't have any religious baggage that you're pulling behind you. But others have been raised in church, maybe even been hurt by church, maybe even been damaged by the things in the church, and there's a whole bunch of baggage trailing behind us. Now, I told you, I, I, I'm a, I, well, I will tell you, I was raised in church. Okay, and I became a believer at a very early age. My wife was raised in church. In fact, the first time I think I had an encounter with my wife, we were talking about this, was in church nursery when I flipped a table over and started throwing blocks at her. That's how long we've known each other. We'll be married 37 years, August 23rd. And, uh, well, thank you. She's the one who deserves that applause because <laughs> she probably has had to work much harder. Uh, to hang around than I have. The, the issue of religion, it can, religion can be mean. It can be mean. My, when I told my father at the age of 17 that I, was go, I wanted to go in the ministry, I felt like I was supposed to uh, become someone who communicated, who preached the gospel, who, who taught people. And my dad looked at me, and this was his great words of encouragement. You sure you want to do that? Yeah, Dad, I think I want to do it. Church people are the meanest people I know. And I can tell you after 38 years of doing it, he was right. He was. I've met some of the meanest people in my life in church. I really have. Because there are times when Jesus and religion don't mix. They just don't. Some years ago, I had the opportunity, my wife and I, to travel to, uh, uh, we went on a cruise. Her parents said, hey, I want to, well, let's all go and we'll pay for the cruise. And I was like, yay, I'm in, <laughs> you're paying. And so we went on a Scandinavian cruise. So we got on a plane here in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we flew to England, and that's where we got on the ship. And then we went to all these wonderful places, and we wound up in St. Petersburg, 
Russia. Now, that town is not as familiar to a lot of us. We hear a lot about Moscow. Well, Moscow is the governmental center of Russia. St. Petersburg is the cultural center of Russia. Beautiful museums are there, palaces, cathedrals are there. Uh, Every premier of Russia has graduated from the same university in St. Petersburg, period. It's where they come from. It's an interesting place to visit. So we were there. We're tourists, so we did tourist stuff. So we went to the palaces. We went and looked at all that stuff. We went to the cathedrals, looked at that. And something kind of stepped out to me because we were hearing the history from our tour guides about how the the people rose up and they got rid of the czars who were ruling them, the political system, uh, and communism inserted itself and religion was pushed away. And I, I took note that there were some similarities between the cathedrals and the palaces. Now, when you visit the palaces today, everything's painted yellow that used to be gold to resemble what it once looked like. It has long since been looted. All the gold is gone. But in its day, at the time of that great upheaval and revolution, there was gold on all this stuff, gold plating on everything. And when we looked around, like, wow, it's crazy. And we went into the cathedrals. They were very ornate, and they had these big, massive uh, designs architecturally. And I thought, wow. And then I realized what was going on outside of the doors of the palaces and the cathedrals at that time. People were literally starving to death outside the doors of opulent palaces and cathedrals. What it did is it kicked open a door, and Lenin gives his speech from the balcony in St. Petersburg, and the people rise up because they became disenfranchised with both their government and their religion because both had lost track of who they were. Now, I I came home with a uh, a real lesson in my heart about it, Because it's easy for us to do. It's easy for us to fall into just our routine religious activity and completely lose sight of what our neighbor is going through. The person next door to us, the co-worker, what they're going through. We we just get desensitized. It, It happens to all of us. But it doesn't need to. It doesn't have to. What I want to talk to you, again, as I said, religion is just simply a belief system that governs our behavior. Jesus didn't come to abolish that. Jesus didn't come to say religion's bad, bad religion. He didn't come to do that. That's not why he came. But he also didn't come to give more uh, rules. What he came to do was talk about his father. I'm going to give you three examples of when religion and Jesus don't mix. Okay, are you ready? You got your note-taking fingers if you're on your device or your whatever, or just got your brain engaged. Here's the first. Jesus and religion do not mix when his mission disappoints us. Well, Bill, what are you, what are you talking about? Everybody in here that's raised in church, well, we know about the mission of Jesus. We pretty much know. We've been in Sunday school. Thank you very much, Bill. We know about his mission. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. What was his mission? Hmm. And why would it ever disappoint us? Let me give you this phrase. Reconciliation versus revolution. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were disappointed. They were looking for a Messiah just like everybody else. The difference was what they wanted their Messiah to be. 
They are living under the occupation of the Roman army. They want a political activist Messiah. Come in here and overthrow them and get them out of here. That was their expectation. But what was Jesus' real mission? He didn't come to overthrow stuff. He came to reconcile men to God. He said it himself. I am here. I came that to seek and to save those who were lost. John says again, that, quoting Jesus, that he didn't come to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. He didn't come with a message of saying, I'm condemning all you people. He already knew the world was condemned. His mission wasn't to speak condemnation. His mission was to reconcile. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul echoes this when he says that we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means bringing people back to the place of relationship with God that was lost in the garden. It's not just about, hey guys, we got a great fire insurance policy. His name's Jesus. And if you'll just accept and sign here on the dotted line, you get to skip hell. It's not just that. It, it's this man Jesus came and took and paid the price so that everything that our sin took away from us can be brought back to us because of what he did for us. His mission was to reconcile people who had been separated from intimate awareness and knowledge of God in their lives. That was lost. Jesus' mission was to come and reconcile it. What you, think about this. How many of you remember back in the days when you used to get a bank statement that you actually looked at and that you actually had to balance? How many of you are old enough to remember that? There are younger people in the room going, what is he talking about? That's crazy. You just check your balance online, dude. It's all good, right? Yeah. Well, here's, here's the bottom line. Back in the day, you had to do it. was literally The word reconcile is actually kind of a banking term. It's more of an accounting term. And it makes sure that what's supposed to be there actually agrees. It's to bring into agreement so that you go, yep, what I say is there is actually there. I have reconciled my checkbook to my bank account. Jesus' ministry was to reconcile men and women who were lost and could not walk in an awareness of God's presence on a daily basis. See, here's the thing. The Bible tells us that God's everywhere, right? Right? He's everywhere. There's no place we can go get out of the presence of God. The psalmist writes about it. We find it in the New Testament. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You can't get out somewhere. There's nowhere you can go where he isn't. However, it's not about is he there. It's about how aware are you that he's there. It's not, God, where are you? It's, God, why can't I be aware? My wife walks in sometimes, and I'm watching television or a sporting event. She's there, but I'm not aware. She might, we might have an entire conversation. I, I, I've done this. No memory. Now I'm in trouble because I apparently agreed to do stuff that I have no memory of. So I've learned, I just stop what I'm doing now, and I 
mute the TV, give her my full attention. I'm not really trying to be a great husband. I'm trying not to agree to something I don't want to do. So it's not an issue of is he present, it's how aware of his presence are you. And what was taken away from man when the, in the garden was his ability to walk in an awareness of God's presence in his life. Jesus came to reconcile that. That was his mission. But now we look at these guys, these Pharisees, and we like to throw rocks at these guys. We really do in church. We really like to, to we just like to give them grief. Oh, I can't believe those religious people. I just, those religious leaders today, how stupid could they be? I mean, Jesus was there, it was Jesus. How can you do that with Jesus? We do it all the time. We're disappointed all the time with his mission. The whole idea of reconciliation versus revolution. Come on, how many times have you been praying about a situation at work and it just slowly moved in the process of praying from, oh God, help me at work, help me at work to get rid of my boss? Huh? Really? I mean, you see how subtle it is, how easy it is to go from saying, God, make things right, to God, overthrow that, make that go away. But see, his mission was reconciliation, not revolution. He didn't come to throw the government up. That's going to come later. He's, he's, he's going to rule. But that wasn't his mission. So we can become this way. We, we can get this way. I'm going to say something. Listen, we live in a culture that is in such upheaval that it's so polarized that it's going to, it's kind of similar to what happened in St. Petersburg back when Lenin spoke and communism came in because th- there was political upheaval, there was religious deadness, and then all of a sudden the door opens and communism filled the gap. And I'm going to tell you, I feel right now something is happening in our culture. It's open. It's yet to be seen what will fill the gap. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was the mission of Jesus? I believe it can be. I believe it can be. I'm not saying that being political or whatever, you shouldn't do it. I'm not, but I, I tell you what, I do think that it's easy for us to get off mission if we equate our political activism with the mission of Jesus. Now, I get in trouble for things I say. I don't want to get in trouble for something I didn't say. I am not saying you shouldn't be politically active. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do those things. What I'm saying is don't call it the mission of Jesus. Call it being a citizen, being a good citizen, and hopefully if you're politically active, you're representing Jesus. But his mission is to reconcile men to God. And that's the mission we've been given. Right? Okay? Well, nobody walked out. Let's keep going. It's important. But let me make this one other statement. If we will be reconciled to God, it will be revolutionary. (laughs) He came with a mission to reconcile, not to bring a revolution in the earth's governments. But if you allow him to reconcile us, if we allow him to to do that work in us, the results are revolutionary. Changes everything. Changes everything. Here's the second. The second thing when Jesus and religion don't mix. Jesus and religion don't mix when his message threatens us. 
his message. Oh, Bill, come on now. I grew up in church. I mean, what, God, there's nothing about Jesus' message doesn't threaten me. I, it may, if you fully understand what his message was. You see, in the day in which he lived, these religious leaders at the time, there was actually a social caste system in place. Those religious leaders were at the top, and everyone else was below them. They had power, they had authority, they represented the nation, even to Rome. And that was important to them. They had been seated in a place of empowerment. But Jesus' message was, we're all on a level playing field with my Father. You're not any better than Him. We're all in the same sad shape. We all need grace and mercy. He came with a message that lit people up inside and gave them hope that their life could matter and be meaningful and that He genuinely valued them. See, He hung out with people. He had a relational element going strong in His life. But the religious leaders were all about performance. Here's the phrase that goes with this. Revelation versus regulation. It's one thing to know the rule. It's another thing to know why there is a rule. It's one thing to know the laws of the Scripture. It's something else to know the author of the Scriptures. God has always intended to write His law upon our hearts. You see, religion focuses on the outward. It tries to do things from the outside in. Relationship with Jesus, when there's a revelation of who the Father is, He works from the inside out. He deals with the critical area. It's the issues of our heart. He works from inside but, uh, you know, at church, it's easy. It's easy for us to go, you know, we just build these cookie-cutter things. Anybody remember what a cookie-cutter is? I feel so old right now. A template. Anybody know what a template is? It's so easy for us to build a template. And we take that template and we hold it up to everybody we meet. Nope, you don't measure up. Nope, nope, you're really not a Christian. Nope, nope, you can't be saved. Nope. Nope. Oh, no, no. Because we've devised this is what something is and we've locked it in. This is what regulation does. But Jesus didn't come to add more rules. Jesus came to tell us who his father was, who he really is. He told us no one can know the father except the son reveals him. That was what he was doing. He came to say, and he was pointing out, to the religious leaders. You don't look like my father. You're not representing my father. You search the scriptures for in them, you think you find eternal life, but you don't find eternal life in a page on a, 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 a book. You find eternal life with an encounter with the author of the book. And you aren't representing him. You aren't representing my father. I need to tell you who my father is. My father is like this. You know, he said, even in Scripture he tells us, I only say what I hear my father saying. I only do what I hear my, or see my father doing. So I, I say what he's saying, 
and I do what I see him doing. And he said, basically, if you want to see the Father, just watch me. Now think about that and think about what he did. He didn't turn people away. His disciples tried to turn people away. Happened a lot. Zacchaeus, the little guy, you know the song, right? We little man, Scottish or Irish or something. I can say that. I'm Scottish. I'm just joking around. The issue of him being small may have been part of it, but the real reason the Scripture tells us he could not see Jesus because of his followers. At first, when I first thought about that, I went, oh, that, ow, that hurts. That hurts. People would flock to Jesus. Even the children. Remember the children? He came with the children. What was his disciples doing? Hey, 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 hey. Jesus is too busy for kids. He's too busy. It's Jesus. He's too busy. What are you doing? Can't you control your children? We got a nursery. And what did Jesus say? Suffer the little children, come to me. Because unless you come to me like this, you can't get there. They were always doing it. And I'm afraid we can be guilty of it still. We can still be guilty of it. There may be someone searching desperately. Is he real? Does Jesus exist? Does he care anything about me? Is there any hope that I might be able to walk in this? I'm looking at the church people. I think I'm doomed. It happens more than we'd like to admit. You see, back in the day, people loved Jesus. They weren't fond of his followers. It's happening again. We don't have a good reputation in our culture. And some of it, obviously, is we live by a completely different ideology. But I'm going to tell you, some of it is because we've been mean, we've been arrogant, and we've been judgmental, and they said enough. And until we own that, we're not going to make any difference. Because we're supposed to be representing him, right? And when you read the scriptures, read the gospels, you don't see him acting that way. You see his followers acting that way. Remember James and John? The village didn't want them to come in. You know what they did? Lord, these guys, they don't want you. Can we, can we just call fire down and burn them? That's what they said. And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit that is. I'm just telling you, it's easy. There are times when we can follow the rules and not follow Jesus. But the revelation of who he is, of his love, when that breaks inside of us from the inside out, it does begin to change behavior. Do you understand? Yeah. I mean, it's, he's always wanted to write the rules on our heart. And from the inside out, we're transformed. That's how he changes us. But he came with revelation versus regulation. In fact, he said to them, you have substituted the traditions of men for the commandments of God. And Jesus trampled all over their traditions. He healed people on the wrong day. He ate supper with people they didn't like. But he never violated the Torah, the commands of God. Never. 
Well, he put everybody on a level playing field, and it, it bothered them. Didn't like it. They liked the caste system. They liked the performance base. They liked all of that stuff. But Jesus comes and says, whosoever will may come. Revelation versus regulation. Here's the third one. Jesus and religion don't mix when his methods offend us. Bill, what are you, what? You, you've not, you're not eating enough, are you? You're starving your brain. I think it's pretty obvious I'm eating plenty. Here's a phrase I'm going to put with this. Relationship versus reputation. Because you see, religion, what it does is it separates people and will not associate with anyone that they think might possibly damage their own reputation. Religion discriminates, it divides, it separates. And won't have anything to do with those people. Oh, no, 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 we don't associate with those people. There's our template again. When you're standing in line at the store or you're at work or you're in the break room, whatever it is, and you've already prejudged everyone in the room as to whether they are valuable enough to know you. We all do it. The truth is, none of us are valuable enough to know except to Jesus. We were valuable enough to him. That includes the person in the break room that you don't think has value. Because when he was hanging on the cross, it was for everybody. If it wasn't for everybody, then it was for nobody. That means if we come into this, religion, Jesus and religion don't mix. When we choose reputation over a willingness to be related to other people because those relationships are the conduit of the gospel. Jesus demonstrated it for us. He, he, he didn't turn people away. He was always talking to people. Now, who he was talking to... That got the religious people upset. He talked to a woman at a well. Not just a woman, a Samaritan woman. Jesus didn't discriminate. He was empowering to everybody. Some years back, I, had a, I went through a little time of um, trying to figure some things out and reevaluate some things. I'd experienced kind of a hurtful, uh, a hurtful period of time in ministry. Everybody I know that's ever been in ministry goes through that. But I was just going back, and I was rereading the gospel. So. And I wanted to say, God, Jesus, how did you relate to people? How did you? So I started to just read through again and again. And I came back with three things that I saw consistently out of Jesus. He was real, he was relational, and he was redemptive with everybody. It totally changed me, changed my life, changed how I look at people, changed how I view them. And one of the ways this began to make uh, itself kind of work out in my life is I was having my time alone with the Lord, and I was just, I, I thought, you know, I don't want to be religious. So I prayed this prayer. I thought, this is a good prayer. I said, God, 
Would you please drive out of me all the remnants of dead religion? And then I remember I kind of smiled inside and I thought, uh, that was a good prayer. I think God liked that prayer. I'm going to tell you, God loved that prayer because he started messing with me from that moment on. He started meddling with everything in my life. He started challenging my thought processes. He started going, what's wrong with that person? Why won't you talk to them? Well, I don't... Things started happening. He's left no rock unturned. It has been one continuous thing after another. One day and another day and another day and every day being challenged for me to be real, relational, and redemptive the way he was. Now, immediately our thoughts go, well, there are certain people we shouldn't associate with because, I mean, they can take us down the wrong path. Listen, what I'm talking about is you holding up your template and not being willing to care because they look different or they're behaving different or their sins are different than yours. Did you catch that? Okay. I'm just checking. You see, Jesus didn't come to build a reputation. He came to fulfill his mission. And he did not put his reputation above the importance of the value of his mission. So in this time I'm praying, God, this, he said something to me really interesting. Remember I told you I was a church kid, right? Grew up in church, started serving the Lord early, became a Christian early, 17. I'm, uh, I'm preaching. My first message, I started preaching at 17, started pastoring at 20. I'm 56. Somebody that's not from Louisiana, like where I'm from, do the math on that. I don't know. I can't. It's a while. I've been doing this. So I'm giving you all this context so you understand where I'm coming from. When the Lord said to me, I, would, I was working with students, so I had a little bit of familiarity with this place. He said, he said I, want you to, I want you to schedule some time, and I want you to purposely, on purpose, go down to Deep Ellum. And I had to seek, I had to go ask people, what is Deep Ellum? What is that, what is that like? And if some of you are probably asking, maybe ask the same thing. It, it's, a, it's a place in Dallas. There, it's, a, it's a music scene. It, it's, it's ebbed and flowed over the years, but at the time that this was going on, it was pretty big. And uh, so I said, okay. So I went down, and this was my first experience at Deep Elm. Now, just so you know, I'm, I'm, I, I told you earlier I'm Scottish. I had a Scottish background uh, from Louisiana, and most of my family are rednecks. So... Just saying, um, with some Cherokee Indian thrown in there too. So just kind of get an idea of what my upbringing. So I'm walking down the street. On the other side of the street is a kid who had to have been seven foot tall. He was pale as a sheet, looked like a ghost, hair down past his belt. He's wearing a black velour top, long sleeve, and a, a velour, black velour skirt, covered his shoes. And he didn't move his arms when he walked. Are you getting this picture? This kid looked like he was hovering. And I'm just standing there going. I, I don't know. I got no slot for this. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what I just saw. There were all kinds of people down there. There were men in business suits down there. There was an upscale jazz club down there at the time. 
men in business suits. There were motorcycle guys. There were hippie people. There were freaks. There were people who thought they were vampires. They were everywhere. People, it was all kinds of people. And then there was me, freaking out a little on the inside. Over a period of time, I made trips rather regularly to go. And it challenged people. Why are you doing that? Why are you going down there? And, and I, I felt like I was supposed to. God's messing with me. He's messing with me. What do you mean he's messing with you? Well, I asked him why I was down here, and he said, well, if you don't come down here, you will never know these people exist. And if you don't know they exist, you can't possibly care. And if you don't care, you will never share. I went, okay, that's deep. And it did, it challenged me. It probably manifested itself the greatest. When we went down there to support a friend, we had made a friend in the music scene down there. She was a believer. And her and her bass player were doing an acoustic set at a place called the Insomnia Club. Now, the Insomnia Club is a coffee bar. You'll get it if you think about it. Um, so <laughs> she's doing this set. Well, I go in, you know. I grab my coffee because I'm, I'm not really comfortable in crowds of people I don't know. So coffee cup or, come on, I know other people if you do this. You can hide behind a styrofoam cup if you have to. Right? Just having it in your hand. I'm supposed to be here. See, I've got coffee. See, I'm supposed to be here. Easily we can fall in that. I go and find a seat kind of in the middle of the venue, and, and then I notice something. The other people in this venue are freaks and vampires. Remember? Scottish, Louisiana, redneck. I'm really trying to hide behind my coffee cup now. No, seriously, I'm not kidding. These people thought they were vampires. They were dressed like vampires. They believed they were vampires. It, it was weird. So I'm nervous. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I get the music started. So, they, you know. so she starts playing. She starts playing her set. And truthfully, these people aren't really paying that much attention. It's more like background noise to them. But after a little while in her set, something shifted. And it, they kind of got into this little musical moment, and I could tell something was about to happen. And she began to just sing out spontaneously about God's love for every person in the room and how He loved them and longed to know them and how He called to them. And she just goes off. And, and literally what was coming out of her mouth was the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy according to Scripture. So she was prophetically announcing, announcing, not pronouncing judgment on people who thought they were freaks and vampires, but announcing the mission of Jesus and his love for people. Now, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I have to tell you, I've been in church a lot of years, and I know what it's like when I become fully aware of God's presence. And I was sitting there, and I became so aware of God's presence in the room that I literally said out loud, what are you doing here? This is not where you're supposed to be. And I had one of those moments that was as, as powerful and as vivid as any I've ever had in any conference or church service in my life. I knew the presence of God was there. And I started weeping. And I thought, this can't be good. I'm weeping in front of vampires. <laughs> I'm showing weakness. No. 
Then I began to wipe my eyes. And she's just still singing. And I wiped my eyes. And I noticed the freaks were listening. The vampires were listening. There was something on the declaration and the announcing of the true mission and message of Jesus. And I wiped my eyes again, and I noticed something. I didn't see freaks or vampires anymore. My template fell away, and I saw people that he loved and that he died for and that he longs to reconcile to his father. And I've never been the same. I've never been the same. It changed me. It changed me. I, I, don't, I don't look at people now. Oh, what do you do? Well, I'm an engineer. Well, that's great. What do you do? Well, I dig ditches. Oh, I don't want to hang out with you. It just doesn't happen anymore. I don't care what you do. Paul said he chose to know no person, no man after the flesh but by the Spirit. You know what that means? When I look at someone, I want to see what God sees when He looks at them. I want to see what God saw when He formed and fashioned them in their mother's womb with purpose and intent and with meaning. I want to see that value. I want to care about it and I want to invest in it. You know what that's called? called being a believer. It's called being a Christ follower. But there are times when Jesus and religion don't mix. When his mission disappoints us, we'd rather be uprooting, overthrowing stuff rather than reconciling us and drawing us closer to the Lord, to him. When his message, we'd rather him give us more rules so we feel comfortable that we know what we're doing. The truth is those rules won't make us more comfortable. They'll make us more self-conscious and insecure. But if we'll let him reveal who he truly is, that love that he has for us, our hearts change and that we are doing the right things, not because it's the rules, but because of the love we have for him who reconciled us. And then we act like he acts. We don't ignore the person in line next to us that's obviously hurting or disheveled or having trouble. We actually might risk caring. Oh, here's a good one. Maybe we could be kind. Just a little bit of kindness goes a really long way to helping people. What I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is just bow your head, close your eyes, tune out the people around you for a second. And then I want you to ask yourself this question. Is my religion, my system of beliefs that guide my behavior, is my religion compatible with Jesus? Does Jesus and my religion mix?
we're all works under progress. I, I know I am. It's so easy to fall back to using the template. It's so easy to just separate myself from other people. It's so easy for me to think, you know, I, I may be the exception, but I'm not. None of us are. We still need the continuing work of being reconciled. We still need the message of his love and grace every day. As you let the Holy Spirit answer that question to you, I would like to pray for us. Maybe you're here this morning in church and religion have hurt you. They've, they've done some, maybe you just had really bad experiences with some church people. I'm so sorry. But you don't have to leave here today with those same hurts. You don't have to leave here today with any of that baggage. Because one encounter with Jesus can take even the bad things that have happened in our lives and turn them around and use them to our benefit. There's not a person in the room that hasn't had bad experiences in your life. There's not a one of us who doesn't have baggage. One of the things I I love to say, we all come with baggage. Our families helped us pack. That includes our church families. But now that it's packed, we may not have put it in there, but it's now our responsibility to unload it. So you don't have to carry it around anymore. You can leave here this morning fully aware that you're reconciled to God, that He loves you with an everlasting love that will cast out all fear, and that He will give you purpose and meaning for every day of your existence. Father, that is my prayer for every person in this room today. All of us at different spots and places in our journeys. But Lord, you see them all from beginning to end. This morning, help us to become aware that there are times our religion is incompatible with who you are. And when we see it, God, we want to call it what it is and ask you to fix it and help us. Continue to change us from the inside out so that when our world looks upon us, even if they're accusing us just by the fruit of the lives we're living and the way we're behaving, that in their day of visitation, they will glorify you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Later on in the verses that we read this morning, Peter strongly pleads with them to live honest conversations among those who don't know God. By that he's saying, Live your life the way that represents who Jesus really is. And that's my prayer. That's my desire. It's not what I accomplish every day. But it's my goal. I've learned if I don't have a goal, I don't know when I get there. I want to. I want to be found real, relational, and redemptive, just like Jesus was. And so that's what I've asked the Lord to continue to do in me.
I promise you, if you ask him to deal with religion in your life, <laughs> take it from me, he's, he's, he's merciless when it comes to dealing with it. He's going to get it once you tell him. I'm going to ask Pastor Allen to come up and dismiss the service, but I want to tell you, every one of you, in this room has a sphere of influence in your life. Every one of you. You you have somebody around you, multiple somebodies around you, that you directly influence on a daily basis. God's heart is to use you in ways maybe you've never thought to make an impact and a difference in your world around you. I want to strongly encourage you to see your life as an opportunity Don't get stuck thinking, look at all the obstacles. See every day. It's an opportunity today to make an impact for Christ on those around me. doesn't mean I have to thump my Bible. doesn't mean I have to quote a bunch of Scripture. It may just be helping someone up who's fallen down. And it starts a conversation. Just follow the promptings of the Lord. But you have to believe it, that that's even something God would do through you. Would you stand? God, let us see your purposes in our lives. Thank you, God, for this church, these people, for their attentions being given here today. In Jesus' name.